1.33. And irritable bowel syndrome affects 10 to 15% of people worldwide and about 6.6% of people in Hong Kong. A recent study by the Chinese University Hong Kong shows nearly a quarter of Hong Kong students have developed IBS symptoms linked to stress since the start of the pandemic. And the month of April has been devoted to international IBS awareness. And my guest in the studio today specialises in IBS treatment. Philip Watkins is a naturopath at the Integrated Medicine Institute, and he joins me now to tell me more about the condition. Good afternoon to you, Philip. Sadia, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's good to have you on. And, you know, we're actually reaching the end of the month now, but, you know, IBS is your subject. Is Have you been very busy doing a lot of awareness during this month? Well, uh, I think you brought it up very well in the intro. The prevalence of irritable bowel syndrome or IBS is such that a lot of people are living with it just constantly, whether or not there's a global pandemic or not. Mm-hmm. The prevalence has obviously increased with the stress and uncertainty mm. of a global pandemic. Okay. And so, yeah, business in that sense is, is very interesting and to see is how it's changed. Sure. Well, we'll look into the kind of details of exactly how things have been happening. But for somebody who is not uh, familiar with IBS, can you just tell me a little bit about it and exactly how it affects people and what for it's sure. all about? It's a great start. So irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, would you believe was the first time it was medically recorded was actually in 1892. Oh, gosh. So it's been affecting people for a very, very long time. And in the late 90s, the uh, gastroenterology experts got together in Rome to finally, I guess, better describe the collection of what you call functional digestive symptoms or functional digestive disorders. And the Rome criteria for irritable bowel syndrome was born where they collected a group of symptoms together, so abdominal pain, Mm -hmm. often dull in nature or vague in nature that's centered around the abdomen, also altered bowel patterns and the frequency of which they happen, and they collected those, all of those symptoms into what's now known as irritable bowel syndrome. Mm, Go on. That's, I didn't realise it was so far back. I suppose people didn't know what they had. It was just they were just having trouble with their stomach and things like that. Indeed. And, and this is often where syndromes are born in the sense that practitioners, either clinically or even you know, in research facilities or uh, landscapes, see patterns of, of patients where, or passion, patterns of symptoms with patients mm. where it's hard to necessarily give them a diagnosis mm-hmm. or and then actually unfortunately a prognosis in in that sense where it's difficult to say well do this because it's very individualized and this is often what we see with irritable bowel syndrome in that the diagnosis is you know often difficult is it something that is genetic i mean i i i'm, I'm thinking really because i actually have relatives i have a, a brother-in-law who had it and now you know his son has it and is it something that is genetic or is it something that just kind of appears it can be random? That, that's a really great question. There, there is a predisposition to having digestive illnesses. And this also comes in when you're looking at stress as a, predisp- as a predisposing factor for irritable bowel syndrome mm-hmm. and its generation. I think the key thing with genetics as a side note or more generally is that genetics is more of a, a, a tendency and not a destiny in that you can have a predisposition towards irritable bowel syndrome or 
digestive dysfunction, if you like, but the environment, your diet, potentially antibiotic use mm -hmm. or some of these other factors within the environment. So environmental can, factors could influence Indeed. It. So the, uh, a very one of my favourite mantras, I guess, when you're talking about hereditary conditions is that the genes load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. Oh. So with irritable bowel syndrome, it can, in a sense, have a predisposing nature to it, but it, there are other variables there when it comes to even just a, a you know, a good example would be gastroenteritis where you can get food poisoning mm -hmm. and 10% of IBS cases are actually because of a bout of food poisoning. Okay, mm. and then you just develop it after that I, bout. Indeed, yeah. So it just creates some sort of weakness in your body that you just cannot indeed. deal with it. Oh, I, I think there's often been, I guess from more anecdotally or, or through what I see in the clinic, I, I think people are generally predisposed to something. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's broken or toxic mm. or mm. or anything in that way but i think when challenged there are vulnerabilities in the body and this is the beauty of how we've measured the genome and some of these other things over the last you know, mm. two or three decades mm. to i guess get a better look at how uh, how the genes and the mm. genome can predispose you to things. is that would that be say the same like if you're thinking of an allergy or something that maybe we have it within us to have that particular allergy, but then something might trigger it, which brings it out, you know, like eating too many raspberries or having something else that's that's going to irritate it. Sure. I think that's a fair statement. It, it, once again, it, the important part of it is what's going on in your environment. I think a good example with allergies is in Hong Kong. You know, we live in a relatively equatorial city with high humidity and the humidity can then lead to broken buildings or mold conditions within buildings. Mm. Interestingly, mold symptoms can mimic irritable bowel syndrome as well. Okay. So there are predisposing, once again, I guess to use that term again and again, mm -hmm. um, factors within the environment that can often trigger or expose these vulnerabilities within, mm. within, within the genes. Okay, now for somebody who does have um, irritable bowel syndrome, what are we talking about in terms of their sort of day-to-day -day activity? Is it triggered by, you know, like, I know things like spicy food and stuff like, or grease or whatever. So, you know, what is a day in the life of somebody who is actually having one of these attacks? I think it's fair to say that irritable bowel syndrome is fickle and it affects people in very different ways. Okay. I would also suggest that from my years of seeing people with IBS, that it is very debilitating and isolating. Mm -hmm. The bloating, the abdominal pain, the discomfort can present in three different people in totally different ways. Mm. For example, some people can wake up with a flat tummy mm. and feel great. Mm. And then as soon as they eat breakfast, that begins this trajectory towards an evening worth of bloating and mm. distension and, you know, maybe uh, challenging bowels or, you know, things like that. And I guess for empathy's sake, if you just imagine that you wake up with a flat stomach, you you eat some breakfast and then you spend the rest of your day worrying around whether or not the next meal is going to make you feel worse. Mm. And from there you end up at night with someone who's inflated a beach ball in your belly and you've got to think about exercising. Mm. The uh, From there the difficulty is, is that if you just take that day mm -hmm. and then you just multiply it into months and years for some people mm. and it's... 
difficult because then you get a social element where you go to restaurants where you're scared yeah. of, yeah. you know, there's fear, so many, there's so Gosh, many ramifications. I can't and, imagine mm. that, you know, I, I think, I mean, I can because I know that certainly my brother-in-law, who's no longer with us at the moment, but he had it so badly that, you know, every, like if we had big occasions, he just couldn't come because he was, he had to be close to the toilet. He couldn't really move too much. But, um, but it is quite you know, it's a very hard thing to live with. How about, you know, in terms of um, is there medication or is there natural things you can do? How do you handle it? That's a great question. So currently there's no official cure for irritable mm. bowel syndrome, although I would like to suggest that I've seen different forms of intervention work. Once again, it does really come down to uh, whether or not there's an obvious trigger too. Mm. So once, for example, if there's been... Uh, some symptoms develop post-infection. That's kind of one way of going about it. There are some really strong uh, studies looking at probiotics, for example, and how they can help with some of the abdominal pain and also some of the more functional symptoms post-eating, for example. Things like yogurt and stuff like that, right? An extension of that. Uh, look, yogurt is an interesting one because some people can feel as if the lactose within the yogurt can trigger them a okay. little bit. Okay. But the formulas now, to give you a sense of where they're at with probiotics, the there are specific strains of probiotics that are now actually patented with research behind them in duration, dose, and uh, being reproduced as we speak, I'm sure, mm -hmm. where probiotics within you know, proper practitioner-grade formulas are you know, very much helping people. So I think those places are a nice place to start. I would say for the more chronic cases, looking into bacterial overgrowth within the small intestine. So statistically now they're moving towards uh, confirming around 70 to 80% of people who suffer with irritable bowel syndrome have an overgrowth of bacteria in their small intestine, which is then causing some of the bloating symptoms and potentially some of the discomfort as well. Mm -hmm. So the, the trigger and the cause is once again uh, an open point, really. It's a... Uh, and this, I think when talking about this, this is where you always got to move towards the people living with it yeah. and your friends and family perhaps who are dealing with something. People do control it. I mean, I suppose they get to know their body and they're able to judge when they're feeling. It's like, for instance, if you're, I know when I'm about to have a migraine, <laughs> I can just see a zigzag in front of my Indeed. eye and I think, oh God, that's dangerous. So, so it's really just knowing your own body and understanding how to deal with that, right? I, there's definitely a part of that. Yeah. And I think the brain-gut connection comes in in a large way in that sense. And I've had a fairly large quantity of people who have come and seen me with a diagnosis of IBS and the primary prescription they've been offered is to just stress less. And mm. It's very easy to say, though, isn't look, it? Look, I mean, <laughs> if I was a patient, I don't know if I would be massively enamoured with that with yeah. that you know, recommendation. But one of the more interesting things about irritable bowel syndrome in the sense that you know, potentially people with anxiety are predisposed to be at high risk of irritable bowel mm. syndrome, mm. to your point around you know, Chinese students and people who are you know, having issues, we now know that the digestion can actually influence the brain. Mm -hmm. So there's a possibility that the bacterial environment or the buzz term is the microbiome is able to affect the brain and affect your attention, your working memory and your emotions, which then can then rebound 
back in okay. to your digestion, giving you, you know, which you would focus on that endpoint sure. as IBS, but you may not know that there's preceding events to to that mm. happening. Mm. So mm. it's it's quite fascinating in relation to how to help someone and individualize that at the same time. Mm. And now, you know, moving on to this whole thing about the pandemic and the fact that I mentioned that, you know, Chinese University, they did a study to show that students had, the more students who had it. So, you know, is that is that based on the whole thing of stress and anxiety or general pressures on students because of the environment that we live in in Hong Kong in terms of the kind of pressure on students to do well and stuff like that? I, I wish I could give you more than the ambiguous answer I'm going to give you. Okay. <laughs> um, stress is a, a big factor and it's important not, you know, to to not discount its role. And once again, in the pandemic, the, that's been heightened in so many different ways, especially for, for students. Mm -hmm. the, the other, there are other elements that have been somewhat unintentional, such as the high prevalence of antibiotic prescriptions, mm. especially in early life. Uh, my daughter was given antibiotics as soon as she was born, mm. and that's led me to give her probiotics and try and do other things you know, from there. And there's some really interesting evidence to suggest that our microbiomes or the bacterial environments within our digestions in that first three years very much just set the standard for how our lives are going to be when it comes to both managing stress, but also, once again, our risk for developing some of these functional digestive disorders, mm. such as IBS. Is there an age factor involved here? I mean, like, you know, with some things, we know that age may bring you, um, you know, diabetes and things like that. Is it, you know, I, I know my nephew has it, and he's had it since he was six, seven years old. Like, It's a really so. interesting point. Is it, uh, there, there isn't officially... Uh, mm -hmm. In funnily enough, it's actually more gender oriented. So oh, women right. are more likely to develop, or one to two times more likely to develop uh, IBS symptoms. Interestingly, men who do have IBS generally have more diarrhea IBS symptoms, mm -hmm. and uh, women generally have more challenging bowels, so constipation and things like that. Excuse the sp specific nature of, yeah, of I describing mean, this it. Is what it's but, about, um, really. So it's less age. It's I would suggest that if you're older than 45 and you're experiencing some of these symptoms more acutely where so that hasn't... So the symptoms would be um, where you're feeling bloated. Um, what are the basic... I mean, so for instance, this is a good opportunity just to say that, okay, if somebody was was had it and they didn't know, what are the kind of basic symptoms we're looking at? Great question. The the first thing really is, is just a, a sense of a dull... Uh, pain within the abdomen okay. where it's difficult to describe but it's also difficult to locate okay. as well okay. and that's what we call visceral pain and you mentioned treatments and things like that and one of the key things uh, one of the actual reasons why I'm very lucky to be working at the clinic but at IMI where I am is that I've worked with osteopathic med you know osteopathic doctors to actually bring people to use physical therapy to help people with the digestive discomfort. So that would definitely be one. Mm -hmm. I think the other is just a general sense of fullness and bloating uh, with the unusual bowel patterns as well. So mm -hmm. once again, 
not to bring it back to, going the, to the bowel pattern. A of indeed, times after a meal and things indeed. Like that. So there can be some urgency associated with with going to the toilet as okay. well, or some cramping, okay. for example. Or on the other side, there can be some you know a challenge to it where you uh, may go frequently, but it's unsatisfactory, mm-hmm. or you may not go at all. I, I think a common thing that a lot of my patients are surprised by is that the medical definition of constipation, for example, is three days. Mm-hmm. So we often use the term constipated or you know something along those lines, but then really it's it's a, dif- a different type of presentation there. So I would suggest that if you feel as if you have these unusual bowel patterns with that sensation of discomfort, which seems to worsen over the course of the day, then it might be worth talking to someone. Mm, gosh, it's quite worrying, isn't it? I mean, like, I mean, are there triggers? Like, is there certain types of food? that you should avoid? Is there any particular thing that that could trigger it? Once or- again, it's, it's very individualized. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that foods that are highly processed and... It's the usual things, isn't it? It, it kind of, of is. If you have a balanced diet, if you're having the roughage, if you're having the protein, if you've got everything Indeed. in your diet. The, I would say, though, that from a, I guess, from a science point of view, if you look into the investigation they've done into it, there still doesn't seem to be a specific food that will trigger it. Um, gluten and dairy have been talked about a lot, uh, grains and legumes, but most people who don't have celiacs, for example, their their reaction to food may actually be because of a degradation of the immune system within the digestion. Uh, we talked a little bit about immunity off air, but a lot of people don't know that 70% of your immune system resides in your digestion. Mm-hmm. So if there's some dysfunction within the, the, the immune system or dysfunction within the, the digestion, there's a very intimate relationship between those two. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the body's reaction to food can be immune mediated, which would then lead you to think that the food that you've eaten is causing the symptoms, yet yeah. it's more the food interacting with the digestion that leading to those symptoms making the digestion more of a central pillar of why food's the problem which i mean even this conversation some of the ambiguity here can give you a sense of what people experience right and it's as you said it's it's very individual and it can vary i mean i mean you can probably is that is it true that you know you can probably live without it but then suddenly it could just appear out of nowhere right so it's not something that you know if you haven't got it, it's not going to come to you. It might just come at a later age or whatever. It, it's one. It's one of the one of the more interesting sides of it is, and the way the way I tend to offer it is that you don't generally think about being healthy until you're sick. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is something that can creep up on people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've mentioned you know people in, in within your friends and family mm-hmm. who have had it for yeah, a long time, yeah, yeah. and it it's very interesting in that sense in that people who have have had uh, maybe barley belly as a, an example yeah. um, you know four or five years later uh, can then develop the symptoms after a stressful period in their life yeah. and not necessarily be able to connect can it the, go away the though? Two. like for instance they may have a short span of it and, and and they feel like that and they have all the symptoms but is it something that could go away if they kind of really worked on their on their food and and you know healthy exercise things like that from what i've seen clinically i would like to say yes yes in the broad in the broad amount of people that i've seen who have to your point who have done 
you know, been to see some, you get some physical therapy, maybe talk to someone about how they interact in the world. You know, mm-hmm. our personality is such a huge part of the way we interact with the world. And once again, that can you know, trigger the digestion in some senses. Mm-hmm. The vast majority, in my opinion, who take that road and who are willing to be a little patient and understand that it is, you know, we're still working on the answers as well, mm-hmm. generally can definitely improve the quality of their day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the first place for people who are living with irritable bowel syndrome is to try and initiate a process just to just to have a better day, not to yeah. have to worry about whether or not lunch is going to make you, you know, ruin your afternoon's meetings sure. or you know. I think it's like it's just getting rid of that sort of anxiety, isn't it, that you get because that again it's like a it's 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 a vicious circle, isn't it? Um, you know, are there support groups, are there people available to help you during this time? I mean, Definitely. I, I touched briefly on the, I guess, what you would call the multimodality, multimodality view that I use uh, and some of the other practitioners at, at IMI use as well in that there, there are a few key things. One is that when you do feel better, there is a psychological convalescence to getting over a chronic illness. I've had some people, I I can just think of one person last week who actually stopped eating lunch Mm -hmm. just for, you know, for a very long time and still, even though she's a lot better, still worries about whether or not eating lunch is going to be a problem, even though she's feeling better. So the idea is, is that if if that's you know that's something you may need to talk about mm. and using counsellors nice for example. It's nice to be able to talk to somebody who's gone through that too. Yeah, exactly, right. but also if you find that you're sensitive from a discomfort point of view, then having someone who is trained to help you with your physical parts of it, so the sensitivity to pain can also be really grateful. Uh, sorry, very beneficial yeah, for you as well. Yeah. Philip, there's so much there really, and it's been so interesting just to hear that, but. Um, I just say, I think we'll run out of time. We're coming up to the news at two o'clock anyway. But thank you so much. Um, and if people want to know about it, any website address or anything like that that you'd like to give out? Sure. So you can, uh, there's uh, Integrated Medical Institute or imi.com.hk, which is the practice that I work out of. Um, my specialty personally is the brain and the gut connection. Okay. So I talk a lot about IBS. That's philipwatkins.health and my podcast, Free and Inspired Radio. Great. Okay, well, thank you very much. And uh, we're going to go, we've got a track lined up, you too, and that's with, after that is the news at two o'clock. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.